Podcast. Let's talk about the weather. Hello, everybody. This is the 10th episode of our podcast, Let's Talk About the Weather. Today, I have a special guest. This is Ashish Raval from uh, the US. Uh, hello, Ashish. Hi, Marty. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Hope you are fine, too. Uh, you brought the sun to Kempton, where we are recording this podcast today. And um, I wrote down the title that you have. Um, it's a long one, so I will uh, rephrase it. Uh, you are in our organization, the VP of uh, Global Tenders Projects and Key Opinion Leaders. Um, yeah, tell me, what does that mean? <laughs> no, thank you, Marty. First of all, thank you for having me here. It's a beautiful day in Kempton. I'm always happy to come to Kempton, Germany. It's one of my favorite places to come. As you know, um, the world is going through a lot of climate process pro and change process. And my title really is someone who helps in a some way, better way, helps solve some of the climate crisis. Our Hydromed provides not only products, but it also provides comprehensive solutions in the field of hydrology, meteorology, and road weather and solar, some of the verticals that we serve. And my role is really to go and educate our key accounts, international funding institutions, donors, that when it's not about just buying products, but we also serve complete comprehensive solutions. And so we actually do projects, turnkey solutions, where it not only includes supplying products, but also um, capacity building, training, installation, and long-term partnership so that our customers can continue to maintain benefits of our products and services that we provide for who, a long time. Who are those key accounts that you mentioned? Are so, those governments or institutes or? So end users are mostly key government organizations, national hydrological and meteorological institutes, for example, in Germany, that would be DWD. In, Deutsche Pol Wetterdienst, yeah. in Poland, it would be IMGW or in India, it would be Indian Meteorological Department or Pakistan Meteorological Department. So these are the large government, national, federal agencies that are looking out for their nation's climate. And um, what are they typically looking for? I mean, those are meteorologists, so they should know what they need, right? Correct. They know what they need, but not always, because instrumentation has modernized and changed, and electronics has changed rapidly over the time. The old ways of doing analog measurements have been all replaced with digital, and now with artificial intelligence and machine learning, there's a lot of AI and sophistication comes into the new instrumentation. The instrumentation today is much more smarter than we used to have 20, 30 years ago. And so part of my job is to also educate the customers on how to buy good quality instrumentation, not always the lowest cost, but something that gives you a very valuable opinion over the life cycle of the, the cost of the life cycle or the product is much cheaper. And so the meteorologists, uh, they know their science and where we come in is we help them with the electronics to make sure that their science is, their knowledge of science is used in the proper way. And You said that the products have changed. We have more digital digital technology. We have way more software possibilities than we had before. Um, what did so the products have changed? But how uh, did the requirements change? 
The requirements have also changed. Uh, in the past, uh, many of the monitoring stations, especially in the high growth market or the developing nations, if you remember, were manual. People would manually go look at the data, either send the data or microphone or telegraph or, or phone or radios. Nowadays, the demand for data is almost instant. People want to measure more and more real-time data. They want to know what is happening now and now casting, and then they want to predict what is going to happen in the next 24, 48, and 72 hours. So the more accurate the instrumentation, the more frequent of the data collection, the more decent projections you can or predictions you can make. And so the need for having a good quality instrumentation that gives accurate data is more than ever needed. So you brought in the way of transferring the data, bringing it to the end user. So telemetry is also a big topic, I guess? Correct. And if you look at the entire value chain, it's really about measuring the parameters, collecting the data, transmitting that data in real time, and then processing that data to give some meaningful outcome, right? So at the end of the day, we are now really living in an outcome-dependent world. Everything needs to have an outcome. And so we really work with our customers to make sure that the data is not just collected and stored as a number, but also gives some meaningful outcome. And they can make important decisions out of that so they can take care of lives and protect lives and property. So when we talk about remote places where people uh, want to get the data from, um, could you give me an example about a recent project that you that you brought to the world somewhere? Yeah, let's just talk about in general the need for climate change. You know, why, if you if you see the news now, in a few days, the Glasgow COP26 summit for climate change is going to happen where 20 of the most developed nations are going to sit down together to figure out how do we reduce the emissions and the carbon footprint and bring us to carbon neutrality by 2045 or 2050. Most of the companies are making huge development plans to achieve carbon neutrality, right? Because our temperature, global temperature of the planet is climbing. And if you look at CNN and the last couple of years of UN reports, climate change is pretty much on a top agenda for most of the countries. If it's not the first, it's the second. But it's it's really a top of the agenda. The countries are committing to spend together combined almost $100 billion a year. $100 billion. Yes, yeah. to, co to just combat climate change. And a lot of these changes will only happen if there is good observation networks around the world giving good data so that governments can make, or scientists or decision makers can make good decisions. And I think this is where you see a lot of efforts. In fact, if you look at the last three, four years, the biggest disasters have come besides the pandemic has really been natural disasters. I mean, anytime a hurricane or a typhoon or a storm comes, a lot of people get displaced. A lot of people are, uh, properties are damaged and billions of dollars. And this all costs governments in the long term a lot of money. So at the end, it raises taxes, brings poverty, hunger, displacement. And you cannot prevent everything. But if you have enough early notification, you can minimize the damage. And that's the intent. And, and you will see more and more investments happening in the climate-related activities. And a classic example is, Just to give you an example, WMO and other United Nations are working on the SIDS, the small island developing states, which are the Caribbean islands, the Pacific coastal islands. These islands are very vulnerable to climate changes, right? And and exposed so, to the sea and high uh, correct, rising levels. These small island developing states, 
are recognized as a distinct group of developing countries that face specific socio-economic and environment vulnerabilities because where they are and also the living of it, the standard of living in and the resources that are available to them. As low-lying coastal countries, they share similar sustainable development challenges but include growing populations, limited resources, susceptibility to natural hazards, external shocks, and extensive dependency on external trade, right? So all these makes them very much vulnerable. So we just, for example, received a big project from the European Union Commission through 5Cs, the Climate Center for Climate Change Control, where we gave 50 automatic weather stations with real-time monitoring using satellite data so that these can be installed in 13 different countries and they can really now monitor their network. So um, one aspect to underline your, uh, your thesis uh, hypothesis would be that um, developed countries as the US and Japan, for example, when they face hurricanes, uh, typhoons and so on, um, tsunamis, um, of course, it is causing damage a lot, but less people die than, for example, in Bangladesh or other countries where uh, you don't have those early warning systems. That is absolutely correct. If you look at just the recent hurricane that happened down in the United States, the casualty was actually much lower compared to many other parts of the world when you see hundreds of people die and this get displaced. So you cannot prevent it, but you can actually, you cannot prevent the damage, but you can minimize the content of damage if you can produce early enough warnings and enough data to evacuate communities and, and bring livelihood back. What kind of data is needed for to send out such an early warning? So mostly the data is really your wind directions, temperatures, rainfall, because based on the number of amount of rainfall predicted, you can also predict how much flooding will happen in the low-lying areas and you can run some models. So we basically typically provide stations with close to five-minute intensity or 15-minute data intervals, and these data are collected and the models then run to produce 24, 48, 72-hour predictions and even long-range predictions. So you talked about the uh, Caribbean project with 50 all-weather stations. Um, Now, when we talk about those parameters that you mentioned that are important for those early warning systems and forecasts, uh, what did what was the scope of that project? All weather station, I mean, that sounds uh, logical, but what does that really combine? So we recently in the Caribbean, we have done a lot of activity. We provided 50 automatic weather stations to the Caribbean Climate Change Center. Center. We also supplied a network of about 37 stations to island of Grenada through the Regional Disaster Vulnerable Reduction Program. We call it the DVRP project, which was funded by the World Bank. Um, and there we provided also similar hydrological stations as well as meteorological stations with some agricultural, you know, evaporation and soil moisture and soil temperature centers. So the goal of these stations are not just for hazards and early warning, but they're multi-purpose. They're also used for drought management, water resources, watershed management, and also agricultural, because if you know the soil temperatures and the moistures in the soil, then they can predict, these services can predict when the farmers need to put farm to the water, when, what is the right season to fertilize these. And so a lot of predictions are made to increase crop yield. And um, so their general purpose, they're not just for flood warning or emergency type management. So was this all part of that Caribbean project too? 
So agricultural yes. meteorology yeah, stations. Yeah, it's, it's agricultural, stations. meteorological, hydrological stations, rainfall stations. All these are important parameters and they're part of the sensors. So why do those organizations come to us in this case? Uh, what do we bring to the table? So the one thing that differentiates Art Hydromed, and maybe just to give you an example, Art Hydromed has over combined 500 years of experience in developing instrumentations for hydrology and meteorology. Many of our competition also boast that, but where Art Hydromed is different is not only we supply quality products, we actually also provide complete range of solutions. So while many companies just provide products and let the customers decide what to do with them, Art Hydromed have experts in the field that can actually work with a consultant, with the with the with the customer as a consultant, as a partner. And we believe that true projects are only executed when the projects are successful for three, five, or ten year period. You know, I've seen many times in countries where customers have bought equipment from a competitor or a company, and after two years they don't know nothing is working, nobody knows how to maintain it, they don't know how to operate it. And this is where I think Art has a little different strategy. We work with our customers like a partner. Uh, we want them to succeed because their success brings us success and overall brings greater value to the community and the world. So our approach has been more of always not only just supply, work with the customers, do capacity building, try to train them as much during installations, pre-sales, post-sales, educate them with what kind of instrumentation should be used. Like for sometimes, you know, I have seen customers use certain sensors in rivers, which should not be used in rivers because with high sedimentation, these type of sensors don't last for a long time. So we educate them on what kind of sensor. Sometimes it's better to use a non-contact sensor like a radar or a velocity sensor than a, than a contact sensor. So it starts from educating. It starts from capacity building. It also starts from post-sale surveys where we are actually supporting them. And we routinely encourage our customers to use our equipment and, and fix it on their own with support from us remotely so that we are teaching them how to actually maintain and do it on their own and be self-reliant rather than always depending on foreign funds and foreign companies to come and support them. So this strategy has worked very well. And customers, they learn our equipment and once they get trained on our equipment, they continue to expand that portfolio and keep on adding more stations and build a sustainable network. So sustainability is where Rod Hydromet is a key uh, or a little differentiation from other competitions where we work with our customers. I understand that we can educate the people on, on the products we manufacture. I mean, this is what we are doing. But I have a question. Uh, I know that you're traveling a lot, but... Nevertheless, every region has its own challenges, its own properties and demands, and uh, um, the topology is uh, different. So where do we know from how, for example, what kind of stations Granada needs or other Caribbean islands? So this is a good question. Um, and I think the way we do this is we try to follow the WMO standards and the international standards, IKO, WMO, and, and, the, and the local institution standards also. But you're absolutely correct. Each geography, each country is different. And so at the end of the day, you have to design stations that work with the local climate. So for example, in Africa, we don't use gray metal boxes. We use white powder coated aluminum boxes because in Middle East and Africa there is a lot of heat and there's a lot of uh, so 
if you have a dark color enclosure, the heat's actually more inside than outside. In Africa, vandalism is also a big issue. So we always make sure that our installations, solar panels are concealed. There are not too many visible shiny things sitting outside. Or if we are using a tipping bucket, it's not a shiny kind. In the Caribbean, the situation is different. The Caribbean has a lot of moisture in the air. There's a lot of corrosion because there's sea water nearby on the island. So we have to make sure that the enclosures we provide are of a different material. They're NEMA 4X corrosion-proof fiberglass material so that they're not only providing the strength, but they're also providing anti-corrosive environments. And so different fencing requirements for different region. And so this is one of the other things also where art differentiates itself from the competition because one shoe does not fit all. So we work with individual clients and look at their geography, their topography, their climate, and the vandalism security situations. And we design products. We design and propose products and stations that work for that local region. So you're saying that we have built a sort of experience, what fits where, but still you need to include uh, the local authorities of a local customer who gives your uh, who gives the order places the order uh, my question would be do you think that um, the knowledge they bring or the expectations they have did change in the past years are they better educated than they were I think overall, in general, the world is better educated today than it was five years ago I mean there is talent also however in the hydrometeorological world, there's always a shortage of talent because the way IT structure and the digital transformation is continuing in the world, most people get very good salaries when you're working in IT field. So only people who are passionate about weather and climate are going into hydrology and meteorology. But I see the young generation in all these countries that are coming, they're very sharp, they're very smart, and they really want to do the right thing for their country. So they are really looking to, they're very eager to learn, they're anxious to apply new technology and try it out. And yeah, no, I see, I see a positive trend there. So these are today's patriots. They don't go to the army, they go to the university and... That is yeah. correct. And they help work on this great field of climate change and they're doing a great service to the nation. Um, I see our time coming to an end and we covered a lot of uh, topics. Um, we surely come back to that in one episode, I hope so. But um, my final question would be, um, what is what was maybe the most interesting project you realized? Something that you really say, this this made an impact, this, this made me proud or still makes? Oh, that's a tough question, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I put it to the end. <laughs> I think every project we did has made a difference. Um, I can give you one or two specific examples, but when Hurricane Katrina happened and New Orleans was completely underwater. 2007? 2007, yeah. yeah, or six, I think. And for the city of New Orleans was in dismay. The Army Corps of Engineers contracted us because we were the only company that could actually produce a station that can transmit using fiber optic, cellular, satellite, and goes satellite, and Iridium at the same time. And... They wanted a station that would work under extreme conditions with 99.9% .9 reliability, and they chose us, and we did a project for them. 
Um, so that was a great success. I think we made a great impact. Um, we were part of the billion-dollar pump pumping station that was installed in New Orleans, and we can actually turn the customers now even remotely know when the pumps are running, not running. That was one great project. Uh, in a high-growth region, I will tell you, the impact that we made was a great project in Bhutan. Bhutan is a very small, tiny country uh, east of, uh, northeast of India. And um, they had a huge... It's in the Himalaya area, It's in the right? Himalayan yeah. region. And there is a, they have glaciers in the Himalayas, right? And in 1990s, I think, uh, there was a glacial lake outburst flood. I don't know if you've heard about a GLOF event. But when there is warm weather or warm climates, sometimes when the glacier melts due to icing, there are lakes formed at very high elevations. Mm -hmm. And when these lakes during warming, if the ice becomes weak, these lakes burst and hundreds of thousands of millions of gallons of water gushes down. And a lot of people died because these water comes gushing down from the mountains down to the river. So in 2010, there was a tender out for putting a GLOF early warning system in Bhutan. And we looked at the tender specs and they wanted VHF radios and it was a pretty big system. And we said, this is wrong. We can actually supply them a much better and a more reliable system using Iridium satellite. And so we completely took all the exceptions to the specifications and gave our own design. And it will you'll be surprised, but the customer chose us and we supplied that system and we installed at 3,000, 4,000 meters above, way up in the glacier mountains, some water level monitoring stations and a whole bunch of siren stations downstream. And that system has been operating for 10 years. And even today, in fact, uh, there are some LinkedIn blogs written because on the 10 year anniversary, they went back to visit the sites and they've been working with us as true partners and it's completely operational working. They're very happy and they're now talking about expansion of that system by doing another basin. Meanwhile, they had interim some other companies also come in and provide some instrumentation as part of the aid from JICA or some other institutions. And they supplied some other quality equipment or other companies' equipment and they haven't been successful. They've all failed. And so this was an actual customer testimony when he was talking to us about expanding the system. They said, we really want your equipment because our Hydromed has provided the best equipment and we have had the best luck with your equipment for the last 10 years. I think it was a very proud moment because these small stations that we provide in the systems and projects make a huge difference in the world. So I would say that was probably one of my most memorable project too. Thank you for sharing those. I will definitely come back and invite you for another session. Um, I like to hear about those those international projects a lot. Um, for now, we're over with today's session. Uh, Ashish, I thank you very much for joining. Martin, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Let's talk about the weather. <laughs>